0: Author of Hidden History, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, and Survival of the Richest, Donald Jeffries, Separates the Real
1: from the Unreal. Fact from Fiction. Fact from Fiction. (laughs) Reverse engineering our manufactured reality. And now, from just outside the swamp-infested Washington,
0: D.C., this is I Protest with Donald Jeffries.
2: And welcome to iProtest. Protest. This is Donald Jeffries coming to you fashionably late as always. We always seem to be just a little running a little bit late. I'm sure the audience is used to that by now. So I'm glad to have you with us. My um, guest today is somebody I've been wanting to talk to for a long time. Probably should have done this a long time ago because uh, he's uh, one of the people that uh, keep me employed at American Free Press where I write uh, regularly uh, every issue. I have three articles there. Paul Angel. He's a current managing editor and art director of American Free Press. And he's also the executive uh, editor of the historical uh, magazine, The Barnes Review. And he was uh, what really fascinates me is that he's he uh, has ties to the old spotlight. And people have heard me talk about the spotlight many times. The spotlight basically was what the American Free Press morphed into once it was driven into bankruptcy. But he was at the spotlight from uh, 1993 until it was forced out of business in 2001. Paul, I really appreciate you. We had a hard time getting you on, but I think we can hear each other now, right?
0: I got you, Don. And thanks for having me on.
2: Oh, it's it's my pleasure. So we obviously we have a lot to talk about. Uh, first of all, let's talk about your history. I mean, you you were you were with the spotlight. I was a subscriber, uh probably from the 80s uh, until, I think it was probably until it was, I, th- I think I was there right to the bitter end. But uh, talk, what was that like? I mean, I you know, you know I'm fascinated by that because the, before the internet and, you know, the spotlight really was, uh, I guess, started in the late 70s maybe, but uh, in the 80s certainly and into the early 90s, there wasn't any internet yet. And uh, so before the internet, that was the, the best and biggest place you could find alternative news. How did you wind up getting to the spotlight?
0: Well, back in 93, I was looking for a job. I had a degree in graphic design and uh, marketing. And uh, my job placement agent uh, went to my church and she happened to know about an organization. She said that uh, they always had the need for people and it was right on Capitol Hill. So I said, sure, I'll go apply. And it turned out to be Liberty Lobby. And um, so when I walked in there, it's funny because I, I didn't know much back in 93 to be honest with you, about things, and so I walked in, and they these people were talking about all kinds of stuff about politicians being corrupt and on the dole, and big pharma being no good for you, and Israel attacking the USS Liberty, and all kinds of stuff that I couldn't possibly believe. I thought, but they were a little bit wacky, and as I began work there, I realized they weren't the ones that were wacky at all, and they were right about almost everything they were talking about. And uh, yes, the Spotlight was started in 75. Willis Cardo started that publication, but he had actually started Liberty Lobby, which yeah. was half of the job I did back in 55. So he'd been at this for quite some time. And there was a great location there on Capitol Hill, a sprawling complex and people running around, editorial department, book selling, a huge circulation department, a lobbying arm, people coming in and out that were pretty well known. Uh, by that time, of course, they were politically incorrect. But yeah, it was quite an exciting time there. Uh, by the time I got there, yeah, they'd been in business and had, when I got there, I think 150,000 subscribers.
2: Yeah, that was, I was, I was, I used to tell people that uh, the most amazing thing about the spotlight was that I think at the time, uh, the Washington Times was a kind of an up and coming uh, conservative newspaper in Washington, D.C. And of course, they were tied with the uh, Unification Church, you know, so they called it the Mooney paper. But uh they had, I forget what the, you probably know this, but their circulation was a, just a fraction of what the spotlights was. And I always used to tell, even back then, it's like, how come, you know, C SPAN never has anybody from the spotlight on the business round or the morning round table and these shows? And, but you'll see people from the Washington Times on there. What, what, do you know what the refl- uh, respective uh, subscriptions were of the New York Times? compared? I mean, the New York Times, the Washington Times as compared to the uh, spotlight?
0: I do not know at the time. I do know that. The spotlight at its peak had three hundred seventy-five thousand subscribers, and that would have put them currently, I believe, in the top fifteen or twenty paid circulation papers in America today. So many of the papers in America today are freebie giveaways and special right. deals and all this stuff, but I mean, and nobody's growing. But I think six hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, puts you way up there. So. Spotlight had uh, gained some serious notice from the powers that be, with 375,000 subscribers. But you yeah, had the Moonies; they did have quite a bit more money than we did.
2: <laughs>
0: <Because even laughs> subscribers—you're not making a ton of money, you
2: know. And you, and you had you had celebrities like uh, uh, John Wayne was a supporter of uh, Liberty Lobby, and I, I think I comment on Hidden history in my book that uh, one of the most notable letters I ever saw in the letters to the editor section of Spotlight. Was a letter from the estate of uh, Gloria Swanson. And it was, uh, yes. you know, she, she, and she, it was something like she wanted, basically, they wanted her, you know, a couple bucks or whatever that was left on her subscription since she was no longer allowed to read it. But I thought, wow, that's pretty incredible. And uh, Liberty and Lobby. Eddie,
0: Eddie Albert was a subscriber too from Green Acres. Oh, and,
2: and that, yeah, that's, and Eddie Albert, boy, what a, and that, that, you're right. And I remember hearing that and he was a, uh, he was one of the first, uh, celebrity health food advocates. Didn't he he push a lot of the vitamins and supplements? Back then, people don't realize how different it was. They were, the FDA was at war with health food stores and vitamin minerals. And leotril was outlawed, even though Reagan secretly had it in the White House. I mean, so this is the the, kind of the atmosphere you came into. And I'm sure you know this, but the, uh, uh, what role did Curtis, uh, uh, General Curtis B. Dahl, play because he was now he was fdr's son-in-law and wasn't he the one that originally got all this started because he he just basically looked at he he didn't like what he saw and he was fdr's son-in-law so you know he was seeing a lot of uh shenanigans going on but what do you know about him
0: well one of the like 250 or 300 books i've put out in my career there was a book called fdr my exploited son in yes 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 right curtis doll was the um Uh, head of our board of policy so there was a a, besides uh, that was part of the liberty lobby organization liberty lobby was actually quite a influential group they they were one of the ones that passed or were behind the taxpayers bill of rights and yes curtis Dahl knew just about everybody he was a mover and shaker and during his time he had an office in the white house until i believe he divorced um his wife who was uh, a roosevelt right i did not get to meet him a lot of these people had gone by the time i arrived but Dahl was extremely influential and to so many people. And yeah, he didn't like what he saw in Wall Street. He thought that these were, was a racket. And uh, I can tell you that he was held in extremely high regard by the staff there, uh, an excellent man, a tough guy. But there were other uh, people that we worked with that were in Congress as well. Paul Finley for a while there in the USS Liberty incident. Yes. And others. Of course, later in our time.
2: They, they track- dared to speak out. Wasn't it that his book? They dared to speak out
0: um i've listened some of this stuff is before my time i was yeah. i was kind of there think about it, it was in the ross perot when he was, was yes just starting to sure but yeah their portraits were up on the wall and and they had a a long legacy of and stories with those older people there uh and uh they were always and listen the, the spotlight of course even before my time was vilified by the politicians because you know willis had originally started this as kind of like a a tell-all kind of an organization he was exposing corruption and affairs and uh, bribery and payoffs so they were on the radar there but a lot of honest politicians were willing to come down and talk to us unlike today when they're afraid they're going to get canceled or they're going to be getting big trouble for associating with an organization that is uh, willing to tell the truth about some of these tough topics
2: yeah and it's it's and uh you know, I I'm just fascinated by the you know the the atmospheres there because uh, I got to tell you you know I get to, I have haters out there and uh, there's a whole group and they're they're out of the JFK assassination research community which uh, <laughs> has never supported any of my work believe it or not but by and large but there's a whole group of them there that really went ballistic when I uh, started writing for American Free Press and they absolutely you know we hear we've heard of Trump derangement syndrome. These people have Cardo derangement syndrome. They are obsessed with Willis Cardo. They've tried to get me, you know, to, to repudiate him online. It's like, what, what are you tied? I, I have no connection to him at all. And uh, and I I try to defuse them by saying, you do know that on the Liberty Lobby's board of directors, at least near the end there, you had Mark Lane, my mentor, big time leftist Jew, lawyer, civil libertarian. You had Dick Gregory, the black comedian. And you had Victor Marchetti, CIA whistleblower, and you had Fletcher Prouty, who a lot of them, and that kind of shuts them up, but I still hear from them all the time. So what, why is this, and I had also heard that Mark Lane and Willis Carter became like best friends late in life. Is that true?
0: You know, so much of what you hear about, and it's so funny with investigators, they, they really prefer not to get involved when somebody gets called an anti-Semite. That's they- the thing that gets turned off. But all the investigations they would do into the JFK assassination, which is all admirable, and they've they've covered every angle of it, they never really took the time to go talk to Willis or actually see what he said about things. And, yes, Mark Lane, I I knew him well. We would go to his house for dinner occasionally and talk about all kinds of stuff. He was our attorney. And and I think Willis considered him probably his best friend, and he was Jewish. Mm -hmm. And so there you go. Uh, so much of what you heard about Willis was completely baloney. He was quite a reasonable fellow. He was uh, portrayed as a carpet muncher, right, getting down on the ground and getting of throwing fits, like mm-hmm. uh, almost like they, they you know described Adolf Hitler. But and he was a tough guy, and but he was certainly reasonable. And you know, like I say, after all the things when I walked in there and heard, I can't remember him being wrong about too much. We also had Mike Piper, yeah. of course. That they threw them into a tizzy yeah. because he was. Uh, put the connection together between Angleton and the Mossad and the CIA is the missing. Lansky, not, yeah. He yeah. had a reputation, but, you know, basically speaking, we talked about things that people don't talk about. And one of them was the Israeli lobby or the, you know, the APAC and also the crimes of Israel. And those two things would get you branded. But the big one, Don, was the Liberty incident. No one had even heard about this thing. This yeah. happened and, you know, and, and we didn't even, we didn't even know about it until, Years later, and we finally uncovered it. We're the, one of the first organizations that talked about it. We've talked honestly about it, we've talked about it from every angle. But if you go to the USS Liberty, one of the big USS Liberty groups, Jim Ennis and I think uh, Joe Medors, and Joe, I apologize if I, I got that wrong, have a statement on there saying. We disavow the following groups and here's why we disagree with, it, but, but, uh, with them they're anti-semites and they've used this to make money we haven't made a dime off the liberty and so you know, all we've done is ever publish special reports on it and try to bring it to people's attention um but they go ballistic on it too so it's just funny but you know and then people would portray us as and <laughs> get, get a hundred percent rating from us when we do our liberty ledger at the end of the year people could not figure us out what do you mean you, you either like uh teddy kennedy or don't no we, we like kennedy when he's right and we don't like him when he's wrong we don't really care what party you're from we're populists we want for right. the most class but they just couldn't get it and they were too scared to be branded anti-semites themselves so they would just jump on the old smear bandwagon
2: yeah <laughs> like, people you know? About us yet <laughs> well yeah, and people don't understand populism I, I i still think populism is the wave of the future i i remember ordering profiles in populism uh, from liberty lobby uh, they were published probably back in the early 90s or something a uh, great book about a lot of forgotten figures from american history but the, the liberty incident you're right it was it was uh completely covered up for decades and then it's it's now talked about freely to the point where joan mellon who was a JFK assassination researcher. She's written a lot of others. She's a friend of mine. I've had her on the show a couple of times. And, uh, she's Jewish and uh, you know probably have an, a radar up for anti-Semitism, but she wrote a book on the liberty, a good book on it too. I don't know if you're familiar with it. And uh, so it's become, and Michael Collins Popper, Piper, who I just I communicated with a few times before we died all too young, uh, some time ago, and I'm sure we would have uh, communicated a lot more. But he wrote the book Final Judgment, Uh, that Liberty Lobby I think published I think back in the day and it ended up being like an underground bestseller but the JFK assassination research community refused to in fact he had told me because I kept saying why don't you come join the JFK forums and he said well I tried that once before I just you know it was it was like a you know a mob assault and I knew it would be he had somebody like me maybe jumping in to defend him but not many others and uh, but now recently I've heard you know. A lot of the bigger names, they'll talk about uh, JFK's feud with Israel and how he was concerned about their nuclear weapons program. And I always try to jump in and say, you know, you need to credit Michael Collins Piper. He was the first one who brought that up, but they they never want to do that because they still think of him as an anti Semite, but they're talking about the same stuff now openly.
0: Well, and honestly, it, it wasn't just that that got us in trouble. Willis also or, uh, started the Center for Historical Review. And that was what got yes. him. The- the real brand, right? That was the discussion yeah. of World War II history. Yeah. And of course, yeah. as you and I both know, the uh, victors write the histories. And right. so we right. if we looked at, and this is one of the things I couldn't believe when I walked in the door. And boy, over the years, now, I, I started there you know, in like 93, I, I said, and it's I'm still working in an adjunct of publications that Willis started. And we talk honestly about su- such subjects as the war responsibility, uh, how many really died in the Holocaust, et cetera, et cetera. A little, and we've gone through the camps and we talked about killing mechanisms and whether or not this be proven in a court of law. But we're like, we, we, it's funny because I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and he said, uh, "What? you're a Holocaust denier. I said, well, first of all, you got to tell me what the Holocaust is. Which one are we talking about? The Armenian Holocaust, the Greek Holocaust, the Syrian Holocaust, the Holocaust, the Holocaust of, you know, the uh, Chinese uh, the Communist Party that killed them, the Russian, which one? Oh, you know, the Jewish Holocaust, the Holocaust. And I'm like, well, there's been so many Holocausts. And so I said, at the end of the day, I said, if I, I agree with you on 90% of what you're saying, would you call me a Joe Smith denier? No, I said, so <laughs> yeah. really we have to define what we're talking about, but it didn't really matter. You know that as well as I do. At the minute you mentioned that word, you might as well forget it, the Holocaust. So that yeah. got Willis yeah. in a lot of trouble. By the way, the Barnes Review still discusses this. And we discuss in a very scientific fashion with chemists and scientists and engineers. And, we're, and we accept so much of the story and you might disagree with them on a small portion, but it really doesn't matter. Your and the same thing with the COVID denier, the Holocaust deniers was the start of yes every denying
2: denial. Did. Yeah, exactly. And that science deniers hope, and I, that's why I can't stand hearing that word because again, it's a like, and it doesn't matter. Like you know, people have asked me about the Holocaust. I it, it's I purposely kind of stay away from that issue. But uh, you know, people. I mean, I said, look, I think we're being lied to about everything, and as you as you say the. The history is written by the victors, no question about that. So I, uh, you know, so why would I think they're telling the truth about that other than anything else? So why?
0: They, they no credi- that.
2: <laughs> yeah, they have no credibility. And uh, but I said I, I, I but it wouldn't matter what I thought, even if I had yeah. lost relatives in that Holocaust or whatever, whatever, even if I lost something you know, someone lot that I loved in that I as a civil libertarian, and I think that's what Mark Lane was. Uh, I would still I would still not want anybody to be punished or, you know, all over the world, except for I think the United States is, I think, the only country that doesn't lock people up for denying the That's Holocaust. And it, and it doesn't matter. Again, it, it it's irrelevant what I think of it or anybody thinks about it. You shouldn't be locked up for dispute for for your opinions about anything. Talk about thought crimes.
0: And one of the reasons that they don't like to debate us over this issue is because we approach it in such a reasonable fashion honestly um because again we'll agree with them on much and we'll we will disagree with them but immediately if you don't accept every single fact you're a denier but but that's another subject for another day maybe
2: yeah i mean it's and it's it's it, but it's, it's uh you know and, and I, I think it's uh since i came to american free press and my friend s.t patrick who writes you also and if you know. S.T. Patrick, he has the Midnight Writer News. I think I'm still the, his uh, most frequent guest on there, I believe, <laughs> all time, whatever whatever Doobie's distinction that might be. I don't know, but I certainly am proud to be uh, associated with him. And he he is even probably uh, less radical than me, I think, on some things. But both of us, you know, you can tell from my, my hero is Huey Long. So uh, I still love JFK. So I, I'm a classical liberal populist. So uh, the things I write about there, uh, I mean, I, I try to write about I'm concentrating on January 6th in the kind of uh, this uh, absurd political prisoner situation we have. But is is any, you know, what other newspaper? And again, this is, it's so great because you guys really are a throwback. Because as you mentioned, circulation is down. A lot of these, the Washington Post and things like that in our area, are just basically giving the paper away because the only people left that read newspapers really are really old people older than me pretty much that are still you know that's they like having that hard copy in their hands and uh it's you know it's a it's a kind of a a ritual but so as they die off obviously circulation goes down and uh but the american free press is uh the only newspaper and they're probably the only newspaper before when they were the spotlight to be telling the truth because we're you know we're covering january sixth. uh uh, for what it is and, and issues like that and free speech. So what, what do you think when the, uh, before we get into that though, but the spotlight, talking a little bit about how the spotlight was, as I understand it, it was driven out of business primarily by the, uh, uh, the Anti-Defamation League and the Southern Poverty Law Center.
0: Well, the story goes back a little further and just to make, uh, tell you the origins of Some of that was about one of the famous people that really liked Willis and liked what he was doing was the uh, big grandniece, I believe, or the grandniece of Thomas Alva Edison. And she Mm left Willis money. And he he had made the mistake, I believe, really of offering in one of his other publications a reward for someone to prove that the Holocaust had happened. So that word comes up again. And anyway, one guy popped up and he said he was there. And uh, I think Willis may have offered 100,000 bucks or something was about the time he was getting this bequest from um, Mrs. Farrell, I believe her name was. And so to protect it, he he took the uh, money and put it with Liberty Lobby instead of the organization it had originally been earmarked for because it was the one being targeted by the Smell Mermelstein guy. It turned out that rather than go to court over this, they settled. Uh, This Mermelstein fellow suit again, by the way, and was eviscerated in court by Mark Lane. And he was just, uh, I think in the end though, you know how these things go, they give a dollar to everybody or whatever for the, for what happened. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so there was a feud going on then about where that money should have gone. Uh, and this woman had trusted Willis and she had entrusted him with this money to do as he pleased, especially if she was interested in IRS issues. At any rate, you know how it is, uh, enemies get a hold of this stuff and they want to sue and they want to sue you out of business. And so it was a long uh, protracted affair. And in the end, um, we lost the lawsuit. Um, and I think that the, they were able to then bankrupt us because we didn't have the money. Willis had brought a radio network and he had, I think the, the amount of money was we had gotten something like six million bucks, although you wouldn't tell it if you could see Willis's office or his cars or the office furniture, the, the, the lobby of Liberty Lobby looked like a, a Midas muffler shop. But anyway, in the end, that's what run him out of business. And um, uh, we felt like the judge had been corrupt, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And but but along the way, there were so many people trying to put us out of business, Don. Besides that, and we'll get into that in a minute, because that lawsuit was pretty complicated. But in the end, what happened was then we were able You we couldn't just start up a new newspaper. You had to, um, you had to. Uh, not keep the same employees, not have the same name, not the same office, not the same purpose. So we started up American Free Press and a group of the employees got involved. But when they found out Willis was a consultant for us, then they sued us again. And so they really just wanted to run us out of business. And in the end, they lost that lawsuit and we were able to stay in business because the lifespan of American Free Press would have been about two months had they won that law case and we wouldn't be having this conversation today. But along the way, I mean, I saw so much going on there about the number of people who were coming in there and the organizations and the federal informants and the FBI people that were coming in there and weird stuff going on, trying to put them out of business. They wanted Willis Cardo out of business and the spotlight shut down. It was as simple as that. And I can tell you that by the amount of effort that they put into that uh, to get them run, to get us run out of business. But also because when we got FOIA documents, one Willis, in Liberty Lobby, there were hundreds and hundreds of pages. The FBI, the CIA, even other groups, because we had also implicated the CIA in, a, in some fashion in the relationship to the Kennedy assassination, yeah. they were just—they were infatuated with him. They hated the idea that he had three hundred seventy-five thousand subscribers. He hated yeah. the idea. Even after the, to the day we were put out of business, we still had one hundred twenty-five thousand subscribers. So it was a concerted effort. And if you want to talk about the individual stuff I saw, you let me know when.
2: No, I, that's that's true. And, I, and I, I'm going to bring somebody else here in a minute because I know he's he has questions for you as well. But uh, no, and I wasn't Scientology. The Church of Scientology also involved in some. Was it Greg Miscavige and people because which have been in the news later? But <clears throat> was it wasn't there some kind of bizarre thing where people came and worked for Liberty Lobby and had an agenda that was tied with Scientology?
0: Um, You know, I don't know 100% about that. The group that did sue us out in California, I think of several of them were Scientologists. But the fact of the matter, it was about money. They wanted the money for that organization. But I will tell you that the, the, the spotlight got himself uh, got himself in trouble by talking about Scientology because we talked to a guy named Arnie Lerman. Arnie Lerman was one of the ones who got out, and he had a lot of stories to tell about the, the lengths that Scientology would go to keep you in. And I remember when we started running stories on uh, from him because as an insider, and you know, you've seen these stories pop up since a woman tries to get out of Scientology. she's In a hotel room, and and uh, dehydrated, and starved, and beaten. You know. But what happened was when we started talking about that we get a call and said if you keep talking about scientology we're going to sue you out of business basically what they said and they would have done this without any help from anybody else because the resources of scientology dwarfed the the four or five million dollars that was left over that they were talking about um, but i remember in particular a very odd incident when we went to pick up the mail and we had like four times the amount of mail we normally would have and when we opened up the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the other four bags, there were literally thousands of letters in there, all in the exact same size envelope, all with the exact return address. Now, our address was um, 133rd Street, Southeast, but it was also 300 Independence Avenue. And, you know, you can write that 20 different ways because we were in Southeast. You could put 300 Independence, Ave. period. You could put mm-hmm. SD for Southeast. You could put 133rd Street, St. They were all labeled the exact same way as if they'd had a bunch of um, robots putting these letters out. Please stop talking about Scientology. They were all on the same exact size paper. They were all handwritten. They were all the same number of lines as if they had gotten literally thousands of Scientologists to get down and, and beg us to stop talking about them. In the end, we did stop talking about it because we, they were threatening. And this is what they do. They threaten to sue you into oblivion. Yeah. And, and resources that could carry those cases on for years.
2: And, and what I you know, the more I think about it, this was really you guys. The spotlight might have been the first really big modern example of uh, of uh, this cancel culture, which was really not much, much in, in in vogue at that point. They weren't certainly not what they are now. But if you look at what's happening, like Alex Jones now. It's the exact same kind of thing. They resented the fact you had so many subscribers. They resented what you were saying, but they shut you. I mean, and there were so few people. You had Mark Lane was still alive, a civil libertarian, defending you. But where, you know, nobody cared, even then, that they were shutting down. They just called you anti-Semitic or whatever they, Holocaust denial, whatever they, they threw out the names out there, the, the emotional words, the early, you know, identity politics code words. And uh people are okay with it. But that, do you see the parallels between that and what we're seeing now between all the uh, the uh censorship that I people like me and tons of us experience on social media and Alex Jones, who's regardless of what you think about him, is sitting in a courtroom for his his uh his thought crimes just like the spotlight was.
0: Don was was Roger Stone, the first person you think that were FBI agents, came in huge numbers with helicopters. <laughs> no, They did that to Willis. He and his wife, both were elderly. I'm at 65, so I shouldn't say that because you and I are approaching that age. But, um, <laughs> up with But The dogs and tanks, and or maybe not tanks, but, but uh, FBI agents with automatic weapons, with helicopters over top. This was in 90... Two or 93, I believe, we, we finally got run out of business. And excuse me, that's two, closer to 2001. We got run out of business in 2001. But they did exactly what they did to him, what they did to Roger Stone. And they broke into the house. They wanted to kill the dog. I don't think they did. They said he had a, a, an arsenal of weapons. He was a weapons collector. He had like old World War I stuff and some, you know, Old West revolvers. So Stockpile.
2: A, Stockpile of weapons. Exactly.
0: <laughs> And the whole thing. And then, you know, it just bust down the door, a SWAT team. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So, so conservatives sat by and did nothing. Yes. At the time, and everybody knew about this, but they never wanted to talk about us because they didn't want to bring attention to us. They right. didn't really want you to know, because when you read the paper, you saw well, this isn't crazy. I don't see the craziness here. And so it always gave me a kick. The conservatives are crying and whining now that Roger Stone and lots of friends of Trump are getting it. But where were they back in two thousand when Willis was getting his house raided simply because exactly. of the truth? And of course, the excuse was that he, he had embezzled this money when, in fact, he had done yeah. exactly what. what
2: the and we're 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 in the situation we are today because those so-called conservatives. I mean, you guys were the ones talking about immigration. You guys were the ones uh, initially. You guys were the ones that were holding Reagan's feet to the fire while the Republicans were the, the Republicans were worshiping and naming everything they could after him. When in fact he didn't keep any of his promises, much like years later uh, Trump would neither. But uh, Chris Graves is uh, in the house here. Uh, Chris is uh, <clears throat> one of is he's an incredible researcher. He's now got a podcast of his own, so he's helped me out so much. And I know he uh, he had some questions for you, uh, Paul. He's a he's a he knows all about history, so I'm sure he knows a lot about the history of the spotlight. Oh,
1: Chris, did you have anything to welcome to the show? Did you have anything to say to Paul? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I was just wondering if you um, if you had any uh, like background stories uh, and having to deal with the Clinton administration. Uh, you know, with like the body count, Vince Foster, Ron Brown, and also uh, maybe if there was any kind of behind the scenes shenanigans, for lack of a better term, with the uh, coverage that you guys had on the Oklahoma City bombing and the TWA 800 uh, crash? You
0: know, I don't know everything, but I can tell you a few things. Um, we were Bill Clinton did not like us. Bill Clinton mentioned us when I believe it is inaugural. One of his speeches said that place down the street has to be closed down. We were he didn't like the fact that we had reported a story that we actually picked up from the Enquirer. And Inquirer, by the way, has broken some big stories over the years, uh, but this was the one about Clinton having the baby with the black prostitute. Uh, we had no um, we had no communication with Clinton that I know of or anybody else. Remember, at that particular point Tom I was just a graphic designer for them, but I do know that he did not like us, and we did get heavily involved in the Vince Foster stuff. It turned out Chris 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 Ruddy, right, did a great job. Was that was that the guy who started? Did yes. the who started news right. And yeah. so but yes. we had started, we started talking to them and we, you know, there was a lot of anomalies about the uh, Vince Foster killing and uh, the blood going the wrong way up the hill and the rifling of his office his possible affairs or relationship with Hillary, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know much about that except to say that we, we, we never pulled our punches as far as I know. And Willis was never really worried about anybody but the IRS. In the, we always stayed on, uh, on the legal side of it, but the IRS uh, also sent in an informant one time. I think it was an FBI uh, informant to actually look for IRS violations, but they couldn't find any. But as far as the Oklahoma City bombing goes, we also put out a lot of information there about the number of informants. And this is the same story. See, these stories that are in the news today were the stories that I've already been through you know, 20 years ago with the informants trying to talk you into doing stuff trying to set you up. And I've got a, a couple of very interesting stories there about the Anti-Defamation League as well. As well. But so we've seen that all before. Um, but in particular, the Oklahoma City bombing, we had. And by the way, we were there with it. You know, Randy Weaver there. We were covering Waco. And so they just didn't like that because the mainstream news media was not and there was no Internet. So nobody was really talking about this at all with any influence in any any circulation. For the Oklahoma City bombing, it was very strange, because we had reported all the number of informants that were uh, popping around Elohim City. And we also knew that the SPLC admitted, I think, that they, the Southern Poverty Law Center admitted that they had had some uh, informants out there. The Defamation League had informants. The FBI had informants. Now, our connection with that was that we were selling a calling card at the time, which was supposed to be private but obviously we now know that none of this stuff is private and evidently terry nichols had uh, had bought this card i'm it could be mcveigh and nichols were subscribers they did not subscribe under their own names but at the time i was handling the um calling card and so people would call me up. I, I, I left Liberty Lobby for about a year, or the spotlight for about a year while they were still in business because I went to go learn uh, how, to, how to use a computer. We were still doing paste stuff at the time, pasting up these and printer. So when I came back, uh, well, I was at my new job. Excuse me. I got a call one day at lunch and said, this is the FBI. We'd like to talk to you. And I said, well, you got the wrong guy. Why would you want to talk to me? And they said, well, just come on down here. And I remember it was a guy named Agent Geiger. And I said, well, if I got to leave, don't come up here. I said, this is my new employer. I don't need two FBI agents coming up here and taking me downstairs. I said, but certainly you'll buy me a cup of coffee. And the guy says, on an agent's salary? And I said, oh boy. So we went downstairs and they were calling me in relationship to the calling card and the um, Oklahoma City bombing. They said they had evidence that McVeigh or McNichols had been in the office making phone calls using this card. And so I said, I find that very hard to believe. What would happen would be people would, it was a long access number and you'd enter the access number and poor old ladies would enter in wrong. So I would say, well, give me your number. I'll call you back. So evidently Nichols had called one day and he had uh, said his calling card wasn't working. And I said, well, let me call you back. And i used the number and called him back so this is what they had found in the phone records right so they had thought that somebody had there from in the office they didn't question us about it any any further because they realized that was the truth but the oklahoma city stuff was even weirder than that we'd gotten a postcard i believe a week before the bombing that had a picture of the dust bowl on the postcard and it said uh, storm's coming and it was very you know, they were pretty smart about stuff there i never would have thought about it you know just somebody sent us a postcard from oklahoma But they ended up taking it to the uh turning over to the fbi because they were always worried that they were going to get implicated with something i'll explain why in a second and that's all i know about that that somebody had sent us a postcard from oklahoma city either one of the either mcveigh or nichols or an fbi informant trying to tie us to this the weirdest thing that happened was that we would have weekly editorial meetings and we had a classified section in the classified section we'd always talk about the paper we had 12 employees back then going over just the paper and um, we had a classified ad for a laws rocket and it was placed by i think it was placed by mcveigh under a pseudonym but we didn't know they were just a guy it was a laws rocket and as we looked at it we thought before we went to press we need to pull this this is a little bit too much and so we pulled the advertisement and it was never in print it was never discussed outside of our offices yet Couple of weeks after the Oklahoma City bombing, the Anti-Defamation League published an article on us that we had sold a laws rocket in the paper with the ad being paid for by Tim McVeigh. Yeah. So my question was always, how did they know about that ad unless they placed it themselves or they had the place bugged? So it was very strange.
2: Well, Chris has done a lot of deep research on Oklahoma City, but one thing I, I found is a. Uh, uh, reading as a as a loyal subscriber to the Spotlight back in the day, you guys were the only ones, and again, it was before the internet, that were uh, that covered that trial fairly. But I I have said all along, you know, people, again, this is uh, conservatives out there. If you love the idea of victim impact statements, you saw it come to fruition in the Oklahoma City trial because that was all about. They had witness after witness who were witnesses to nothing, except that they had lost loved ones in the tragedy, their own grief but they there was a reason why they didn't use to allow victim impact statements because they prejudiced the jury obviously and they did that they I remember them and I I remember getting a little scared the first time at the time said god that's that's my newspaper the spotlight you know and they were making a big deal that he supposedly had bought an advertisement there and they were making a big deal that he read you know they talked about him read the turner diaries and all these other things but they mentioned the spotlight and as if this was evidence but this is what I'm saying about how, if you look at the trial of Alex Jones now, it's the same kind of thing. You know, what 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 is this male enhancement drug or by you know what what are you what are you selling? What are you things that are totally irrelevant to anything? Didn't you must have thought at the time? Well, I, what, we really crossed the line with the trial of Timothy McVeigh because it, and what the judge didn't even allow. Uh, not that uh, Stephen Jones did a great job anyhow as his defense attorney. But he did try to, uh, I think, uh, present a 150-page defense brief or something that the judge completely disallowed. That was all about the uh, what's her name, Carol. I forget the woman's name. The Carol How, Carol Howe, Yeah, exactly. But uh, so I, what? What were I'm sure the spotlight just were, and they mentioned it. Uh, what uh, that must have been kind of a down time for the people at the spotlight because they saw Bill Clinton demonizing militia groups and by you know suggesting. Newspaper like the Spotlight, he was trying to d- basically say we, that people like us were responsible for the Oklahoma City bombing, wasn't he?
0: Well, we also were ahead of this these hate crime laws, and the hate crime laws are more or less hurt feeling laws, right? Because yeah, honestly, yeah. they can't dig up, they, they can't dig up the haters in this country; they have to invent. Yeah, but we always worried about the hurt feelings, and of course, one of the things about the Mel tra- trial was the pain and trauma of Holocaust survivors, if we can go there, about the pain that they feel, and now, of course, they've gone to the point of even grandchildren of these people. So we yes. knew that this was opening the door for this type of yeah. testimony. And so you do have to be careful about what you say. But the Sandy Hook trial in particular, again, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. I really don't care what Alex Jones has to say about it. He should be allowed to say whatever he says, as long as his supporters don't call up and physically harass people. Right. Is- as Certainly. far as that goes, how do you judge
2: somebody's pain and suffering? And yeah, so- exactly. And that's, and that's and that's that's what's it's terribly, you know. McVeigh again. I think it did open the door to a lot of what we see, and now just with identity politics, going wild. Now some feelings are more equal than others. We know because let's say you're a fundamentalist Christian and you're you're looking at all the crazy transgender agenda uh, going on. That hurts your feelings, and we're offended by that, but. Do you think we would get anywhere if we instituted a lawsuit against, uh, I don't know, some big figure on the left that, you know, I'm really I'm, I'm desensitized by looking at little girls with Frankenstein scars across their chest and proudly displaying them on social media next to beaming doctors and beaming mothers. Uh, would we get anywhere with those kind of lawsuits? I don't think so.
0: Well, unfortunately, somehow the leftists have claimed the moral high ground, which we actually command. Yeah. So I don't know how this is going to end or when this is going to end. But I do believe people are going to look back in this period of time and say we were we, we this nation went uh, temporarily insane. I don't yeah. think this fad yeah. is going to last. Things go in cycles. And so I'm hoping that that's what happens. But I don't know. As long as there's money in it for people, you never
1: know.
2: I hope you're right. Go ahead, Chris. Did you have something else?
1: Well, yeah, I was going to say that. um The spotlight was one of the only publications, I think, to actually acknowledge the daycare center operator, the original one, um, that was kind of memory hold afterwards, her and her husband, who was uh, in charge of the security for the Murrah building. Um, I think the spotlight was the only place to actually name them and interview them. Um, And then they pretty much disappeared after the fact. I know during that trial, uh, they tried to get a lot of witnesses to the other explosive devices that were in the building. And instead, like Don was saying, they had uh, family members, you know, describing their pain and misery. And there were also a lot of other John Doe number two witnesses that uh, were turned away during that trial. Um, basically, uh, what were your thoughts on the the reports of the other? explosive devices that were found and and taken out of the building if you have any opinion on that
0: oh well i can tell you that we we had conferences at the time and we had hoppy heidelberg we had general ben parton and and there, we had another big guy at the time we may have had stephen jones i don't remember if we had him so i got to talk to these people but again so much was going on and my reporters handled it at the time. So I I really wasn't as familiar with this stuff as I am now, because now I look back on it and I see so many of the parallels. But we also had the pictures of the people coming out of the building who were allegedly that got in there and came out, two white guys who we were looking for. We would publish their picture and say, do you know these people? But but, but Ben Parton said it all, right? I mean, Ben Parton said there's no way that that fuel, oil, and fertilizer bomb could have done the damage it did to that building. And, again, I don't remember anybody or any organization of any size talking about any of that stuff at the time. Of course, people thought we were crazy, right, when we said that. Right. As I look back on this, it makes perfect sense that either the FBI had informants that tried to urge these people to um, commit crimes, and then they either screwed it up or they allowed it to happen. Uh, right now, sometimes I think the FBI is pretty incompetent, but then again, I never know purposefully, so was- I actually,
1: I actually came across some, uh, some information that uh, wasn't really, uh, publicized by anybody actually, um, that the FBI turned away almost a hundred witnesses that saw a helicopter, like above the Murrah building, um, I think Patrick Riley, a reporter, he's like one of the only people to report on it. And I guess uh, General uh, Parton actually had uh, photographs that were taken allegedly from that helicopter at the moment of the explosion. Uh, Have you come across uh, such information like after the fact, like about that? No, because
0: we haven't run across someone like you. So what we want
1: to do. (laughs) It's a
2: super researcher.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we want to interview you on all this stuff and put it in the American Free Press. So you can there see you- us, there's absolutely no doubt because the, we've had so many people pass away Mike Piper, Willis Gardo, Vince Ryan, Jim Traffic, and, uh many of the uh, Victor Thorne and some of these other researchers, yes. passed away way before their time, Some of them not some of them were older. But like we've lost such a wealth of research yeah. of real reporters over the years. and of course, um, nowadays it's tough to break a story. Uh, because news, the minute it's filmed by a cell phone, it's it's news and it's on the internet. And of course, nobody finds out about us because of these uh, algorithm manipulations. But yeah, listen, you could teach us tons about this stuff. Personally, again, I, I, I put the paper together and I was running a Liberty Mint at the time. My editorial involvement got much more involved once we were founding members of American Free Press because we were the editors and publishers at the time. So then I really... I was listening to this stuff and shocked by it all, but I wasn't the one really doing the research on it. And the okay. ones who did do, research, for instance, Mike Piper got a letter, I believe, from McVeigh, who said we wanted to talk McVeigh in prison. And we were the only organization that he would talk to, but he was scared to talk to us because yeah. they had threatened, he said, to kill his sister. His sister was a vocal
2: proponent of him, right? I've I've been trying to get a hold of his sister. Chris got her phone number for me. She did. She never. And I did talk to his dad, believe it. He actually answered the phone when I called, but he he wouldn't talk to me. He,
0: uh, he just yeah. said, "Yeah." You know, listen, I got to talk to people like Randy Weaver too, who called and wanted to place ads when other people would put his uh, would refuse to take the advertisements. But but the letter that the Piper got from what Piper told me, and again I wasn't privy to all this stuff. Um, was you're closer than anybody else to the truth. Th- that was hmm. his message to Piper, and Piper's belief was that once again there was foreign intelligence agencies involved in this to com- to try to convince the American public that white supremacists in general, right, were the yeah. greatest threat to America, not anybody else. And so that same theme, nothing's changed. You talk about this. I'm sorry, but you talk yeah. about the things that we talk about now and yeah. the, the foreign intervention and globalism and the banking industry scam and the big pharma scam. It's the same immigration. It's the same stuff we've yeah. been talking about for the yeah. past 30 years. And now they're finally starting, but maybe Tucker Carlson talks about it a little bit, but he ignores some of the big chunks of information that he knows yeah. are going to get him in trouble, but yeah. we are harping on this stuff for so long. And finally, a few people are waking up, but they're never going to give, give us or, or Willis Carter any credit for it. So No, well,
2: I, and one know. thing, I, I, I listened to Alex Jones, obviously, a lot over the years. My son was a huge fan of Alex Jones. He's the one that turned me on to him. And I thought he was very entertaining and he, he reminded me a lot of what he did, uh, other than that he did he clearly stayed away from Israel, there's no question about that, but uh, a lot of his coverage was very similar to what you you found, he interviewed a lot of people from Oklahoma City and so forth, but one thing I found, and, and even when he made kind of a celebrity out of Big Jim Tucker, he called him Big you know, James Tucker, who was obviously, was with the spotlight, he was one of the first, that's where I learned about the Bilderbergers, was the, one of the big stories the spotlight broke was the Bilderbergers, nobody talked about that before they did, oh, but I'm Westbrook sorry?
0: Pegler, Westbrook Pegler was a journalist who wrote one Oh, did he?
2: Did, did he? Okay, he wrote about it before that. Yeah, Westbrook, yeah, that's true. That was, that was a
0: but the, the, way, the Tons of people and I think he would communicate with people. I mean, like Taylor Caldwell and people like this.
2: Yes, Taylor he Caldwell. Wrote, yeah. He, yeah he he
0: was a, up, and in the end was Willis who went to the first one. I think he went to the, the 1975 meeting in Sesame, Turkey and then Jim didn't come on board, but but Jim was at every meeting, and every meeting we'd go to him and publish it. And of course, everybody, everybody, every mainstream news outlet. Of course, these reporters are sworn to secrecy. There, right? Right. Would mm-hmm. say that we were conspiracy nuts, and it never was happening. Never <laughs> yeah. He denied it. Yeah. <laughs> Jim was a real reporter. He would go into the garbage cans yeah. and pull out stuff. He would go drink with, he loved to go drinking after with to, to where the um. Yes,
2: yeah, so he drank. He had the cigarette dangling out of his mouth. I mean, he was, he was the type of reporter that we were supposed a real to real gumshoe. Yeah, a real gumshoe, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean,
0: I got to tell you, it was a blast because not only did I get to drink with after work people like Jim Traffinger, but Jim Tucker and I went out to dinner many a time and talked about stuff. And he was just a wealth of information. But he would go drink with these people, and he'd say, "Man, so can I buy you guys a drink?" And uh, boy, those global elites! I bet you they didn't give you a decent tip. Did they? oh, those those green <laughs> bastards didn't give a thing. Well, tell me something. Could you get me something? And they'd bring the agenda to him. They'd bring other stuff. They'd tell him what was going on, and yeah. he did a great job. But of course, Alex Jones, I got to tell you, he does. A, he's he's got some money, and he has done an incredible professional job with his sets, with his reporters. Yes. And yep. he's a dynamic personality. And yep. I don't think that half the people would have be been awake if it hadn't been for him. So yeah, that's what said,
2: I tell people. And I can see people in the chat room, Riley and and people are, are talking about Alex Jones. Look, I, it doesn't matter what I think about Alex Jones and he may be in on it. This may be all entire farce that he's going through. You know, ironically, he's being accused of saying Sandy Hooks was a Sandy Hook was a hoax. And maybe he, this whole his trial is a hoax. I don't know. But well, he, did, he woke up he woke up more people than anybody else there's no question about it
1: but what are your thoughts on his behavior during this trial uh, I'm just curious well,
0: I have two rights for now. One was that when people at the spotlight would show up to help him pick it and stuff, he'd mention the spotlight or, Liberty, or American Free Press, and he'd say, oh, they're nothing, they're tiny compared to me. So that way he's irritated me. Oh,
2: yeah, Second,
0: yeah. When he finally got his chance to go, and I'll get to that question in a moment. When he finally got his chance to go on and talk about Bilderberg, he ranted and raved like a complete lunatic. He started screaming, and here was our chance. I didn't care if it was Alex Jones or not. It was finally our chance to get an independent organization on a mainstream news program and make ourselves look super professional and talk about it reasonably, and he acted like a complete idiot. And, and, and it really pissed me off. So this is his name. Um how I haven't watched the trial too much. I really thought he was going to be able to use a first defense trial, a First Amendment, excuse me, a First Amendment defense, but the judge told him this recently, yeah. no, this has nothing to do it. And so what are you supposed to do? I mean, if, if he, and if he, if in fact those internal memos say, I don't really believe this. I'm just going to make money off my supporters. Then I've lost respect for the guy, but I do not know all right. followed that. Well, you know, listen, I work seven days a week. I haven't had more than five days off in the past. Well, years. I'll
1: just tell you that basically they don't go into what, what the, uh, what the claim was. I think it was uh, Owen Troyer, one of his uh, employees just mentioned how the father had said in an interview with Megan Kelly, about how he yes. was holding his, his dead child, uh, in his arms with a bullet hole in his head. But then when you cut to the next day afterwards, Wayne Carver, the, the coroner that was, you know, kind of acting really off and kind of goofy the yeah. next day, he, he claimed that none of the parents had any contact with, uh, their the their children, children and that they were identified by Polaroids. Yeah. So, that would have thrown the whole case out, in my opinion. I, I'm not a lawyer, but
2: but if you but if you watch Chris, the in court, I saw I actually saw some of that coverage where they talked about that. But his attorney was so again, that's why people think it's you know this is all a fixes in or something. His team attorney Dina, yeah, they they didn't they didn't bring that up, and the judge kept not, and he should have said, look, of course that's reasonable speculation for me to question that father if the coroner is saying, uh, you know, the, something completely opposite. Then if not, then question the coroner. Why would he say that? So, But they never, and that's the problem is that Alex Jones, and I understand he's, he's, uh, and one of the things I have about him, I didn't know he said that about the spotlight, but I, during all the years I expected, I watched him a lot. I expected him to talk about the spotlight, especially when he had James Tucker on, who's, that's his history. He, I, to my knowledge, he never mentioned you guys. And he, he had to have been influenced by you. So I, I don't understand that
1: he's influenced by bill cooper and bill cooper didn't have nice things to say about yeah, Alex. yeah yeah
0: i can't blame jones i mean listen you don't really promote your competition and in, in print we were okay he crushed us on the internet and we we started late on that but i have no i have no ill will toward him the man deserved a fair trial that's that's how I, I feel about it. And, and, yeah. I, and I say this, listen, this is a war and we have multiple fronts opened up. And one thing I could always count on Alex Jones is whether we agreed or not, he's 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 engaging the enemy on a front. And if he can keep that front going, it keeps the pressure off us. If we can all push in our different directions against this yeah. and either hold our ground or advance, then more power to everybody in this. I don't like people who say, if you don't believe this, I can't work with you. Yeah. because this will come to 911, people would say uh if you believe the plane and I, I don't know where anybody stands on this but people would say if you think planes hit wtc yeah. then you are either an FBI informant or an FBI. and i yes. say well, listen, <laughs> what I'm saying, well yeah. let's just open up front here just maintain your front with yours and but don't attack us from behind don't don't try to do that because we're all trying to get at the truth one way or another and it, sometimes it's a very long journey to the truth look at the liberty incident a long journey journey to the truth
1: now okay. we, we September 11th uh, i i can't exactly remember when you were you guys were in the process from uh you know when you had your situation where you you know were were kind of being hunted by the um uh i can't remember the um do help me out here the <laughs> what you did. When they were uh, being, uh, when they was it the bankruptcy or they were being, uh, yeah, well, they were in the been... turning into the American Free Press. Like, yeah, it, that, it, was yeah. that before nine eleven or after nine eleven? Because I don't remember the Spotlight having be coverage of nine uh, eleven. The that, was, that yeah. period, you
0: no, know, the Spotlight was out of business, and we were out of business for a couple of weeks before we could figure out how to get a new paper. But with the day, practically in the week, I'll say. We moved into our new digs. We were still in Capitol Hill, but we're down there by the Sousa Bridge. If you're familiar with uh, Washington, D.C. and the slums. (laughs) (laughs) But we remember that that first week we were there. All of a sudden we heard the booms outside and the jets going over and there were people screaming in the streets, thinking the streets were bombed. And we looked out the back window and we could see the really black smoke coming from what we figured was the Pentagon because we could see across 395 there. And that's when we began our coverage there. And of course, your immediate reaction when something like that happens for a lot of people. is like, deck gone it. Um, somebody's attacked us, those jerks, uh, whatever. And then, you know, but, but at here, you had Mike Piper and Willis Carter going, slow down, slow down. Something's not right. here." And we had Victor Thorne working on that too and calling us up going, something's not right here. And so we uh, slowly but surely compiled a list i think that one of the first things we did was compile a list of like 100 unanswered questions which we just published because we didn't know the answers at the time and still don't to some degree on some of this stuff but as more information came out and we talked to people and began to interview people but one of our and, and this is probably not where we're going here but it'll give you a great example of how things are censored we were the only organization to interview the uh, corporal, I think he was a corporal, Scott DiCarlo, the guy who arrested the Israelis dancing on the-, the
1: Yes, storm. yeah, yeah. Right?
0: And so we put that up on YouTube a while back and had that interview with him. Nothing outrageous. I stopped these people. The bomb-sniffing dog was going a little bit nutty. Um,
1: oh, so not- that was you guys. That, that That's yeah. like the only footage of this officer uh, to talk yeah. about that. Oh, wow. Right.
0: And guess what? He got pulled down on YouTube. <laughs> And all it was was an interview with the guy telling exactly what had that matched the police report. So there's how you go. And it's anti-Semite. As a matter of fact, one of the things that will get you accused of anti-Semitism was any relationship with uh, criticism of Israel. And I guess that's why they pulled that thing down. Uh, right. but I could never figure out why they we know why. But what their justification was for pulling an interview down, an actual oral interview with the, one of the cops who arrested those guys. By the way, one of those guys went over, right, it was at a talk show. And that they had been sent there to um, uh,
1: document the event.
0: There you go. That's the exact verb. that was in there. So, like, that was one of our big things. And people that got lots of views, they didn't like that. And the minute you get any attention nowadays, you're basically in trouble. Yeah. So, we always thought one day print print was going to – let me just finish this. I'm sorry I'm talking too much. But one of the things was we always figured one day print was going to have trouble and we would be going – to the internet, and we found out that that isn't the future because it's too easily shut down. So, we yeah. we have to make the case to people that if you really want it, you're going to have to get it in print because anything of any real value or anything that's really controversial will never be seen by anybody. And the Scott DiCarlo interview is probably the most the perfect interview of this, or excuse me, example of that.
1: I think I still have that too. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That's but so, so once you once you're driven out of business by primarily the ADL and the Southern Poverty Law Center, who I think are probably the the mainstays in the anti-free speech brigade. I mean, these are the people that are like the thought police, and they're constantly uh, searching for uh, anti-Semitic stuff, especially, or alleged anti-Semitic stuff. So it was pretty quickly that you became the American Free Press. So how many, how many old hats from the spotlight uh, came on board in the beginning for the American Free Press besides you?
0: Well, you know, uh, we had Chris Petherick, who's our executive editor now. and Yes. He had, um, multiple people have passed away. Victor still wrote with us. Mike Piper still went. Willis was a consultant. We had our circulation manager and a few others. Uh, changed accountants, changed here and there. You have to change some employees, and some of them were getting old and really didn't want to get involved in this battle anymore because they knew they had seen, and I haven't even gotten to the FBI informants that came in there that we exposed. And have written yeah. books about the time at liberty lobby in the spotlight and that how much they were getting paid 96 grand a year just <laughs> paid by the FBI to spy on us um and but we we've added people like don and like st patrick and like john friend and others and we've gotten younger people try to get younger people involved but it was probably a core of 10 or 11 people
1: now you had a a woman that was uh, a reporter for you uh, and Dawn uh, tried to have me find her.
2: Trisha Katzen. Yeah, I, I, I just was I wonder what happened there. Do we do we have any? She's one of those ones that she was very involved. Uh, I think she was a Liberty Lobby's legislative director, but she just dropped off the map after. Uh, I, don't I, think, know, I think she maybe. dated
1: the uh, the, the uh, financial uh, person at the spotlight, too.
0: Maybe I don't want to interview you.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: He knows everything.
0: (laughs) But uh, Trish Katzen was really smart and a good looking gal. And back then we had a real live lobbying organization. So we were able to go to Congress. We were able to actually pass the paper out. We would pass it out to every single member of Congress. Uh, Guys like Chuck Schumer would chuck it in the garbage. But other, and by the way, he would fundraise office. They loved us. It's why we probably we're still in business because the anti-defamation leg uses us for fundraising. But I remember uh, Schumer in particular. I'll just go there and I'll go back to cats and he, uh, his staffers. He said when he did his fundraising letter, would cry and just tears would roll down their face when when they would read the criticism of Chuck Schumer's lousy legislation in the paper. <laughs> but Trish, I think, was one of those ones who realized that. When these FBI informants come in, they're trying to tie you to the Oklahoma City bombing, and they know about advertisements that are supposed to run in the paper but never did run, but they say they did run, that you're in for a big fight coming up. And there's probably better things and easier ways for an attractive and intelligent woman with experience on Capitol Hill to make money. So some people just weren't ready for that. They didn't want to go through the trauma of it. Some people can't handle it. I mean, people say to me, aren't you burned out? And yet I'm like, man, I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. I have no idea what kind of exciting thing is going to happen tomorrow, how they're going to try to put us out of business, what success we might have. It's no time to be given up. But you got to have that attitude. And it's really a, a life decision that you're going to get it tomorrow morning and have some challenge at least in the next month that's going to put you to the verge of bankruptcy
2: well it, it, it happened, does take right? a certain type of person i'm sorry go ahead
0: uh, honestly i do not know what happened to trish i just think she probably found a, a
1: easier better paying job the other thing sure. was, this isn't a, that makes the sense world.
2: so god knows the conspiracy world does <laughs> well, exactly the like,
1: <laughs> there's like no trace of her on the internet whatsoever that's just yeah. it is odd to me <laughs> Yeah, well, no, she I mean,
0: would be getting yeah. up there too, uh, and that's interesting. Who knows if she changed her name or what? That's what right,
2: I Married, mean, whatever. I
0: started this when when I was a young man, and I'm 61 years old. I guess I'll retire if we can stay in business that. But I, so many of the people that we that we, when you think back, it's 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 happened so fast. But those 40 year old, 45 year old guys are now 75, 80 years old. Yeah,
2: that's the that's the. I, I write on Substack all the time, and I wrote a. Yep. Wrote a piece the other day about getting old in America. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is. It's frightening when you think about how, how fast it goes. But um, so you said the spotlight at one time had 375,000 subscribers. So what happened when you went to American Free Press? How how much circulation did you lose? And, and were you able to build it back up? Like what, what is the circulation of American Free Press as opposed to uh, the spotlight?
0: Okay, I don't even want to talk about that. But when we first started the spotlight, we... <laughs> were able to bring about 65,000 people with us. First, it was about 35,000. who were diehards because people would understand the appreciate the value of the paper. But right. the only way we could do it, Don, we had no money, zero, right? So the only way you can do that is to uh, send out a, a subscription pitch. And this is a tough business um, because when you send out subscription pitches, they cost a lot of money and your general response is about uh, one or 2%. So if you spend yeah. send out 50,000 to 100,000 pieces, you can only expect to get in One percent of that. So we had to make an offer that was really going to be great. So I think then and again, that wasn't that wasn't my bailiwick, but they offered, I think, uh, uh, two years of the paper for like thirty nine bucks, which would have not covered our cost. But we knew that we had to get money. And if you do the math, thirty five thousand times nineteen bucks, tell me what that is. if somebody's got a calculator. And then we went out and offered again. And Willis was so happy we had one point five million in the bank. And I said, Willis, you do realize this is going to be gone in six months. And so a, the, the print business is a constant churning, but we have steadily gone down since um, those days. I think we kind, of, we kind of peaked at like 65, but once you raised your price, then nobody appreciates the paper, right? We've undervalued newspapers. Yeah. You talked about that earlier, the Post just giving the thing away. They do that because they've got Kaplan, right, the educational thing. I think the Post was losing something like a million dollars a month until Bezos bought it, and he's the only guy who can afford a million to lose a million dollars a month. So what happened to us is we slowly went from 35 to 20 to 25 to 20 to 15 to 10. And so we, we have distributors who hand out the paper, I think, and and we have subscribers and we have a a group of people who pay a little more for the paper to help us out. And I think we have probably circulate 10 to 15,000 copies of the paper nowadays. And the, the problem with that is when you don't have money and you run out of money, you don't have the money to promote. And if you go wrong, and you're playing with money that's in the bank to pay for people's subscriptions which we have an obligation to fulfill you're kind of stuck and so then you say well let's rent some lists now we don't want to rent to you you guys are bad news well how about your email list or how about your internet well now we don't want you so it's come to the with the advent of the internet your bad reputation follows you and so it's been difficult for us to find new subscribers and of course we offer an online version and all that but everybody wants their news for free so it's been yeah. tough. And um, that's all I can tell you now is I'm just happy to be in business and happy to have enough money in the bank to be able to put out a few more issues and then see how it goes after that. But generally yeah. speaking, it seems like every time we come close to the edge, some act of God brings us some good luck and we've been able to stay in business.
2: Well, I'm, I'm grateful for you because you 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 uh, you know, writing books doesn't pay that well. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Plus, I, I like the uh because writing for you is completely different. It's a, it's a, it's a very disciplined thing, you know, because you have a word count, you know, writing like a reporter is something I never did before. So it's, uh, you know, I, I tend to have long winded flowery prose. people that read me, uh, (laughs) know know exactly how I typically write. So I have to rein that in when I'm writing. So it's, it's, it's a good, uh, it it makes you more disciplined and, but I, but I can, you know, cover the same stuff. So, and I think, uh, you know, you're, you're finding, you're, you're, as you say, it's, it's, probably the only thing that's appearing to, to however many newspapers are being set out in hard copy now i don't know you know back in, in those days when i first started discovering the conspiracy world uh there were tons of newsletters and uh was it don bell i think had a big one that used to set all the time and uh and of course the spotlight was probably the crown jewel of that but you had so many of these things and in the jfk world you had Penn Jones, The Continuing Inquiry, which published my first article ever as a young guy, got me all excited, made the front page of The Continuing Inquiry, but all these newsletters and a lot of more investment things and stuff, and some of them were pretty expensive for that era, but all that's gone now. Are there, is, there, is there anything besides the spotlight that is going out in print form that talks about this stuff now?
0: Not con- not like we do, because we actually pay our writers but um, uh, Don yeah. wassel has the, uh, I think it's called Nationalist Times. Uh, it may have changed his yes. name. And he yes, has, uh, yes. He's got a few thousand subscribers. And, of course, a lot of these older guys have died off. Olaf Childress had the first freedom, which was super hard hitting on the Israeli issue and the Jewish issue. Something weird, a little bit more popular for the popular reader. Um, but I don't know too many. But there's got to be a few. But I can tell you when the big boys can't make it and they're losing that much money, and the best investigative reporting is still being done by newspapers. The best, the best phony news stories are still being done by big newspapers, too. If you not break a big story, it's still guys that have this massive infrastructure behind them and editors and proofreaders and circulation boys. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's not a great business model. For me to go into it again, I probably would have become a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. because <laughs>
1: now i just have uh, uh just two quick uh things i wanted to ask uh i don't know if you would remember or not but i know the spotlight covered the john f kennedy jr plane crash and the twa 800 crash do you remember any details about uh, witnesses to the john jr plane crash that saw an explosion and the other one, the TWA 800, there was, a, there was a thing that I know Don's probably sick of me bringing this up, but there were reports of, like, uh, videos of uh, missiles hitting TWA 800 that were shown on the night a couple times, and then they just disappeared from the airwaves. Do you remember anything about those two cases, that, any details like, like that?
0: We covered those, and we repeated those same claims that you're making. Um, was it James Bamford who did that? Who is the guy who did the book, the big book? Because we interviewed no,
1: Sanders. Sanders.
2: Sanders, Sanders, Sanders.
1: And Jack Cashel did one too. Right.
0: Yeah. And I don't know what happened to him, but we did interview him multiple times and we simply um, reported as transcripts. Remember at the time we did have a pretty popular radio show hosted by Tom Valentine. where he'd have. Yes, show.
2: yes. Yeah. Radio Free America
0: right and then we would uh run the transcripts in the center of the spotlight in the first days of american press we couldn't afford tom unfortunately much longer i'd have to go back through the files one of the things that was denied us was to take any of the files from the spotlight so all those issues with spotlight that i had in later years um uh from maybe 95 to 2001 were confiscated so like i have a hard time even finding old copies of the spotlight to go back who, who,
2: the who they were confiscated by who, the government
0: they were confiscated by as a part of the bankruptcy because when you lose the bankruptcy, you vacate Jeez. the building, you lose your no. bank account, your bank account is frozen and you vacate the building. And so we had to leave it all behind or break the law. And we did not want to do that <laughs> because we didn't know if the place was bugged.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. But um, it's unfortunate. We cannot get at those old files. So I'd have to get back with you on that to see if there's anybody, but again, it would have been Piper Thorne, these guys, these other reporters, we had Don Markey and the Arnold, and some of the others who would have done the real reporting and uh, condensation or accumulation of these different interviews and stuff. I do remember the TWA Flight 800 was was weird because we were had people reporting they were missiles coming from the ground or some type of a rocket yeah. or something. Right? And we know that Sanders was the one who was, was he involved in the reassemblage of the plane. Writer. Yeah, and,
2: and well, Jack, Jack Cashill is. I've, Sanders was going to be on my show, but then he he ended up not being. But I've had Jack Cashill on my show a couple times, so he's and he's still friends with uh, James Sanders. I like because he's you know he, this is a whistleblower who's him and his wife. You know they went through the grinder because simply for telling the truth.
1: And you mentioned yeah, no, like, no, the only thing that stri- that strikes me uh, about the TWA thing is just that the idea that thousands of people saw videos of this thing and then the government and the people to just get rid of them and as if it never happened. And with the JFK Jr. thing, the only reason I ask that is uh, because me and Don have been trying to find uh, out who these witnesses were that saw an explosion. And there was a a wedding guest that uh, supposedly saw it that Shepard Smith had mentioned on Fox news uh, the day after. And there was a reporter uh, from the Martha's Vineyard Gazette, that uh disappeared too and we just uh i didn't know if the spotlight maybe actually had those details at one time
0: uh at they the may point. have been put into one of the papers books and um i i will try to get to see what i can find out that for you, but i don't hold out much hope because most of what we did i believe was in the spotlight but i know that Piper himself believed there was definitely something funny going on trying to look into that yeah situation okay. but i would have to i want I want,
2: I want to just uh say a shout out to the chat room. Uh, thank you. Prisoner six for the tip. Uh, I see Lisa Belanger, the world's most courageous lawyer, criticizing Alex Jones, attorney. Well, you and me both. Hi. Huh? Uh, Vince Agnelli, my buddy is out there. Who's, uh, who's uh, an expert on the public wheel and is going to bring us back to the articles of confederation. Love the work of uh, Vince is, is doing Jason Barker, Milburn stone, the grumpy Riley, uh, Jason Barker had a problem with his his uh his daughter, I think, was being attacked by a snake or something. Apparently it's okay now. John 149. Uh so anyhow, if I missed anybody, we'll come back to you. But uh sorry about that, Paul. I like to talk to the chat room. And um uh, so yeah, this is this is fascinating for me because you know, this is uh, the spotlight was a big part of my uh, that, that that really helped form my core beliefs. Uh, I don't know if you I don't know if you all want to take credit for that or not, but <laughs> but uh, the uh, such as it as, as it is, uh, it turned me into the it helped turn me into the rabble rouser I am. So I I'm fascinated talking to somebody who actually worked there and these names actually mean something. Tom Valentine, for, is Tom Valentine still with us? Is he still doing radio? Tom
0: passed a few years back. Uh, but uh, there, his he had a, he was big into alternative health. If if you remember, he was one of the few yes. uh, yes. who pushed Audi Arco and other natural um, uh, alternative treatments. And so he has a, a company uh, down in Florida that's still being maintained by his family called CareTech, and they are super high quality supplements, not the kind you get in the grocery store usually from China. And I'll just give them a plug because they're really, really um, uh, do research like uh, Chris does his research on that stuff on the supplements and how bad so much of this stuff is and how good the stuff they do is. But, yeah, they've kept that going for him. And I work with Tom myself many years with newsletters that he was putting together as well. And, and he had some great guests where we also knew Fletcher Prouty, right? And yes. we knew Victor Marchetti. Marchetti actually edited a newsletter for us called Zionist Watch. Yeah. And so those guys had lots to say. And it is a shame that there's nobody else kind of like that nowadays who does their own real is a personality that does their own investigative reporting and really does really high quality research or that can, can get people to talk, you know, to, about these things. Cause everybody's too scared to, to say anything out loud.
1: Did when you did... have any interaction with, with Bill Cooper? I was just curious this whole time because yeah, uh, during the Oklahoma city thing, they tried to uh, connect McVeigh with him too, just like they, they did with Nichols with you guys. Um, I'm just curious.
0: I never knew Bill. Um, I think I publicized his case, and and I could have listed a bunch of other guys, Maynard Campbell, and another guy named Yes, were along with these poor guys who would be popped up on because they were scouting out truth or something that irritated them. Before you knew it, the FBI was around their house, or somebody was around their house, and they were getting shot.
2: Yeah, there was so. And what was it, John Singer? The the very one of the very first homeschoolers, and this people at homeschooling has been accepted now. I mean. Yeah, with the schools and the situation there is, I mean, you'd almost have to be crazy not to homeschool at this point. But uh, just John Singer was one of the first ones. Uh, I talked about it in history. He was shot almost certainly by government, shot in the back as he went to get his mail. What did, And the Spotlight is the one that publicized those things.
0: That's correct. He was on, the, one of those guys was on the phone with us when they went in. Uh, it may have been Maynard Campbell. Yeah, it was
2: Maynard Campbell. I think he was on a Radio Free America with Tom Valentine. It was like a live attack. And I what did wow. uh, you talk about a whistle? I don't even know what they were coming after him for, but they just basically assassinated him and, and they had a, like a helicopters, his helicopters over his property and everything. And it was all on live radio.
1: This is all live, yeah. live radio.
2: Yeah. yeah wow. Gordon call, well,
0: we knew the call family and worked with them. We always thought that and if you're familiar, you remember Gordon Call's story.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: An IRS critic. And they, and he was having meetings in the area and um, on the way to the church where they're having a meeting, the FBI and the local sheriff's office, I believe, uh, ambushed them. And he wouldn't put up with that. He had been a, a World War II fighter pilot, I believe, or had worked a machine gun in a B-29, something like that. And he winged one of them and his son dove into the ditch. And. Uh, I don't think he ever fired a shot, and Yori has been in jail ever since.
2: Yeah, what's the up? That, that's again, you talk about outrageous injustice. He's uh, so he's still. I, I I tried to figure out a way to contact Yori because uh, I wrote about uh, uh, the call incident in Hidden History, along with just about everything else that happened back then. But has, has the spotlight or anybody been, or has the, the American Free Press or anybody been able to to uh, contact the family or anything about Yori call? Because that's a there's no evidence he killed anybody, and he's, and he's been in jail already for, what, 35 years or something? It doesn't wow.
0: matter to them. I mean, I know other guys who have been in jail for already 10, 12 years for for um, uh, an of a, a, a guy I know, I won't even say his name, but he had gotten involved in a case where he uh, had a little newspaper or a magazine himself. And he published the names of the jurors in the trial, and all he said was, you should contact these people and tell them the truth about this case. And he went to court, and they said, well, it was obvious that you had published these so that people would go and assassinate Correct. them. Correct, yes. And yeah. they said, "Locked him up, and he's been in jail for seven to ten years, and he did no more than that. Wow. Geez. Yeah. I remember, I know off top of my head, I should remember it, but I can't remember the man's name, who, um, whose case it was. Uh, but, yeah, so if they want you, as Mike Piper used to say, if, they, if you, they want you to be the enemy, you'll be the enemy and you'll end up in jail and you're not getting back out if they don't want you to get back out. They'll send informants in to get you. They'll pick fights with you. They'll try to get any type of violations they possibly can. They'll try to drive you crazy in solitary confinement. And after they've had you in solitary confinement for three or four weeks, then they put, take you on the perp walk. You haven't had a shower. You haven't had sleep. You look like a maniac. It's like Jones hasn't gotten a fair trial, but at least he hasn't been put in jail. Be put yeah. in jail, I'd have broken
2: up. yeah, and and, Free, and, huh? and, pre- and and there's and there's there's and so what you we were seeing here, and I hope the younger listeners especially know there's precedent for what you're seeing today. And it went the, the January, well, I've written a lot about that for American Free Press. The January 6th prisoners, are you as shocked as I am, Paul, that nobody other than Tucker Carlson, a little bit, there is not a single again, I'm from the left, I'm a civil libertarian, there's no Mark Lane around today. How, and the ACLU has just become a complete joke right a few years ago. They said, yeah, you know, the civil liberties thing, we're not too much concerned about it. Now it's racism and climate change. How can anybody be watching what these people are doing, charged mostly with misdemeanors, have been sitting in prison for over a year and a half, solitary confinement, beaten these allegations, denied all due process. How can how can there not be more people outraged about it?
1: And then the flip side of that was with the riots in the summer previously where people would uh, barely yeah. get a uh, slap on the wrist for lighting fires or burning, uh, burning things down.
0: The only yeah. fair verdict I think we've had is the Rittenhouse one. And only because it was on camera from five different angles. So film that. Yeah, And
2: the, He had, a, he had an unusual judge though. That judge was not like the, the Alex Jones. Is getting, he's getting the worst judges on earth. I mean, they're just absolute nightmares. It's like you, you know, you're not going to have a chance with these people.
0: But, you know, it's like this this friend of mine who got locked up. They gave him a public defender. And I said, you might as well forget it. I said, this guy doesn't want to rock the boat. He wants to be in the old boys club. He's the up and coming guy. Do you think he really wants to get you off? If he gets you off, he's done. Yeah. So I have a feeling that maybe these GN, some of these Jan Sixers have um, some good attorneys. I don't really know. It doesn't surprise me, not with the way, listen, I know a few people over the years that I've talked with recently in uh, diplomatic security, working for the U.S. government, uh, uh, police officers, and a lot of them really, really didn't like this, okay? I can't even talk to them about it. This was horrible. This was the worst thing ever. What about the riots? Well, that's different. They were trying to overthrow the government. I've been trying to protect the government for all these years. So there's a great number. It's kind of like the Trump thing, right? I mean, people don't vote anymore for um, uh, platform. They vote personality, which I think is so stupid. But that's what you get. And they've they and listen. If let's say a guy like Ron DeSantis, I don't, don't know what you think about him, but let's say he was to get the nomination, they will make people hate him before it's all over. He won't even be given a chance. And so, do I think that 6 is any really different from anybody else? They want to make the enemy. Not really. I mean, I'm surprised they haven't executed a few by now. It's, it's terrible. One day it's going to happen. i yeah, we're well. going to look back point in time and say we all went
2: crazy if we ever gain our sanity uh, that's that's the, land of certainly the, free, the right? thing about it. Oh. yeah the land of the free i mean this is just they just made a but but it, it just we can see what what paul is is talking we're talking to paul angel again the managing editor of the american free press which uh, employs yurt strilley as a regular writer there so you can read my work there as well and, and to other places but um it's just amazing to me that uh, – but you talked about the, when they were trying to demonize white supremacists, you know, back in the 1990s. And now, look, we again, this has culminated in the President of the United States claiming I mean, against – obviously, it's, it's like you're talking about being in a bizarro world, claiming that white supremacists, wherever they may be, God knows where any white supremacists are, uh, are, are the biggest problem America faces. I mean, this – how, how do we do, because the people that are running things are dealing, they're, they're putting out a an alternative an alternative uh, narrative to reality. It's completely opposite to what we see going on. I mean, white supremacists, where are these white supremacists, Paul? Did they write for the American Free Press? I don't know.
0: <laughs> I've listened to few and far between. I'll give you an example. By the way, during the Revolutionary War, the British papers uh, billed the Battle of Trenton as a huge victory. So it's been going on for a long time. But um, yeah, listen, back in the day, one of the things we found out, and we've known about this FBI, I I hope they don't come to my house tonight, I want to get a good dinner. Um, (laughs) One of the things we found out was the most virulent, the most anti-Semitic, the most loudmouthed chapters of the KKK, and I don't really support the KKK, but were all funded by the Anti-Defamation League. They were the ones at yeah. the time putting them, because maybe the FBI worked with them and the SPLC. I don't even know if they were around back then. But when you see people at these rallies that are, seem to be just over the top, then yep. you have to worry. And the, and the example of the Jan 6 would be Ray Epps, right? Yes, yes. Ray Epps was, was urging more people to go in than anybody. What did the Trump people say? Dude, that's a Fed. It was obvious yeah. to them. Yep. But that's what you see on TV. And I'll tell you what. And I just watched the program the other day. I'm very interested in UAPs. And I don't. We'll go. We'll go into that another day.
1: UFOs. Were,
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. But they were just talking about that. And that anybody who really, they, they've made it so that if you. And by the way, something like one out of ten Americans thinks they've seen one, including three U.S. presidents. Right. Yep. And uh, but they make you think that they're completely insane. OK, I don't know what they're seeing. It could be a meteor, it could be a comet, it could be a, a, a drone, a Chinese drone.
1: Planet it's Venus. <laughs> Swamp gas. <Yeah. laughs>
0: but, but whatever it is, if they want you to be a lunatic, you're a lunatic. So obviously there's certain subject. But the Internet's done a couple of good things. One thing is that there's more misinformation than ever before. And there's more, uh, you know, cast Sunstein disinformation, that the specialists going out there and muddying the waters. But the information is out there. And if you can just filter through it. People can f- see video footage of Rittenhouse. I mean, I'm surprised when I talk to these people, the ones I'm telling you about and uh, you know, diplomatic security, and you know, other the thing that they think they know everything and this and that. And I'll say something about the Hunter Biden laptop story. And they're like, what? And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You've never heard of that. And you're I can't even have a conversation with you. So we've just <laughs> not come to a point where there's a, there's a blackout. And there's a censorship. There's a brainwashing going on here that they're just. They're so, their news feeds, everything else is just taking them to basically uh, bias confirmation. And so I really don't know what to do about that because even the most mild subjects that you know you're right about, like immigration, we all know they're allowing 4 million illegal immigrants into the country at a time of high inflation and where a huge number of the population has even given up looking for a job and all of our jobs are overseas. And this is a bad thing, right? But you talk to these supposedly um, uh, well-informed people. And they don't even know how many, how they're coming. All they hear is Martha's Vineyard. Oh, they ship them up to Martha's Vineyard. So it just really, we, we have to get back to the way I think it used to be. By the way, this the CIA has been running Operation Mockingbird forever. It's been going right. on since the Kennedy days, right? Yeah, you know that. That many of these People are embedded in on the payroll of the CIA. But you've really got to get back to the day when people used to respect and listen to anybody you might listen to cronkite or who or this other guy or whatever but this changed at a time when it really became the, the these these outlets became the media piece the the, uh, the the mouthpieces of the two political parties it really is a problem here. we've only got two political parties really Absolutely. one political party
2: yeah well, you, and that's you know what you, this is, i i look back and i remember uh many of the themes of the spotlights reporting back in the day and uh one of the things they were so involved in third party politics and we had such hopes of creating a third party and this alternate, these uh, Tweedledum and Tweedledee as Huey Long called them. But I look back and I, I can't help but feel disappointed on all the things that uh, the, 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 at the time the populist right, which was the spotlight kind of exemplified, all the things they fought for, trying to control immigration, uh, get us out of the, pull us back from, you know, bring the troops home from all these foreign countries and, and stay out of wars. Um term term limits. I mean, did, did we win on anything of those issues that we fought for?
0: Um, it, like I say, it's a long, slow battle. And I, I will say that at the very least, and, and people uh, send me emails all the time that tell me Carlson, you know, Tucker Carlson's a complete sellout fraud, and he will mention yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. But I'm thankful that 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 he that he is willing to criticize both parties, and yep. I'm thankful for the fact that he's bringing some of these topics to a greater um audience you know yep. to speak of those old days we we, we supported ron paul we su- and did yes. a pretty good job we supported pat buchanan ross perot pat yep. buchanan in particular was one of the <laughs> i was the highlight or a downlight of my life but i was watching face the nation and i had buchanan on there and we had done a a lot of promotion for him we did a special report on him and um they asked him flat out well listen you know, we see that this anti-semitic group in washington dc that's the smear they're going to give you every time. That's the leader. Uh, now yeah. the Holocaust denying, although we never discussed that at the spot, at the American Free Press. But he said, uh, and they've done this report on you, and it was the Gore Bush thing, and he, and so are you going to disavow them? Well, I at least gave credit to Buchanan for saying, um, listen, I've read the report. The report that they put out is pretty innocuous. There's nothing controversial in it at all. So no, I'm not really going to disavow them. Whereas with Ron Paul but I think Ron, we run his column too. But when we went to, um, when we would show up to cover of one of his rallies, his little, he would come over to talk to us and then his little people would get in the way and shuffle him away. Don't talk to them, don't talk to them.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So well, the thing that always me was, and I'm so done, I'll just make this one point, that I'm tired of supporting people who will not support us. And so I'm yeah. tired of
2: supporting politicians. So well, Ron it. Paul, you can see Rand Paul is completely different uh, than Ron was in many ways, but... Iran. I was shocked when uh, he consented to write the foreword to my book, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, seventy seventy six, nineteen sixty three, 1963, because it's obviously about as conspiratorial of a book as you can find. And he, he kind of stayed away from that in the past, but he put his name on that. So uh, I, you know, I, I was kind of, so I think in, in retirement maybe some of these guys get bolder. On the other hand, Pat Buchanan, who should be bolder, who I love. I, I loved Pat I have never been able to get a hold of him. I've tried contacting him and uh, I don't know, maybe he's, I don't know what he, I guess he hasn't been on TV for a while, but you're right though. And that's why I mentioned Alex Jones is that, uh, especially someone like him, they should pay their, they should just, you know, mention the people that were influenced, but the spotlight unquestionably was very influential and uh, you know, I don't, to those uh, people out there that are trying, you know, these, these stalkers of mine from the JFK research community. Uh, I'm, so- I'm sorry, Willis Cardo and Mark Lane were good friends, if not best friends, and I'm not going to repudiate him because he created a, uh, a hell of a good newspaper. So uh, I don't know, Chris, did you have a question?
0: We're allowed to be wrong about some things and right about others. You know, and that's what I always say. Not, not everybody's right about every single thing. And so this is where we, we find a ground to work together. And so with Willis, you know, I say he was right about everything, but there were some things he said that were a little over the top for me, but it didn't matter. And there were some things that Mark Lane and I disagreed about. He lived directly across from the Supreme Court. So it was kind of cool going over to his house to dinner. But uh mm-hmm. and so we didn't have to agree. Nowadays it seems like you have to agree with every single thing or you're out. Even the even the the the, the smeared people won't talk to us.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's uh, so. I I wonder, like uh, I said, the spotlight always uh, in the past had interviews, and I guess you you don't really do this kind of. It, it was like a kind of like the centerfold in Playboy. They had the interview, the spotlight interview in the middle, and uh, I mean they they talked to people like our uh, Bud Dwyer's widow, yeah. who uh, you know who's uh, didn't talk to anybody else, and those you know Pennsylvania. State, yes, Pennsylvania State Treasurer, Treasurer who. Some people remember 1987 blew his uh, blew his brains out on during a live press conference, but it was after reading a long with what, what every news outlet but the Spotlight said read a long rambling statement. The long rambling statement, the Spotlight published it in entirety, and it was a detailed indictment of then Pennsylvania Governor Richard Thornburg, who went on to become uh, the Attorney General under Bush the Elder. But the Spotlight interviewed his widow. I contacted his children uh, later while I was writing Hidden History, and they are kind of interested. In, I don't know. They, they, they had had a documentary made that kind of uh, redeemed him. I think they were happy with that. So I didn't get too far with them. But the, but the widow said, told the Spotlight, you guys are the only ones that told the truth about it. But uh, they never got credit for the stories that they broke.
0: We would love to interview people. As a matter of fact, do you know anybody who's got a radio show as guests? We'd love to run some of those transcripts.
2: <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm still, you know, I, I, I willn't do any. I mean, I try to get the the, the yes, I can, but I would love to get more uh, people from those days. I, am like Bo Greats. I tried to get Bo Greats, and I found his phone number, and his wife answered the phone, and and she just uh, she said, "I'll ask him if he's interested." He never called me back. So I, but I mean, it was, just,
0: it was easier back then. I mean, because political correctness and cancel culture, even with you know eight and people would actually talk to us like i said congressmen would pop on by when we were on the same policy and it just yeah. wasn't this black nowadays they're scared to death they're going to lose that gravy train but also just scared to death their family's going to be hurt their daughter's going to be hurt their college admissions are, are, are might be right. one of the things i've always said about sacrifices you make in this business you know i haven't made any it's my kids and my family who have made these because my children will probably never be able to run for political office in this country.
1: <laughs> yeah. That back. might be a good thing, though, for them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that maybe. Um, but, like, you know, um, my wife goes to work scared to death. And I'm like, honey, the American Free Press isn't really that horrible. I tell them to read it. They won't even yeah. read it. I'm
2: oh, I might. My, my, my wife, I, I get a lot of that with her, too, as well. I scared to. So, but, you know, what what has really changed, and you mentioned that members of Congress used to talk to you, is that, and it really revolves around the state of Israel, the the issue of Israel, and and again, the American Free Press got in trouble, I think, primarily because they were considered anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, whatever. These were the, these are the allegations being made against them. But uh, if you look at that time, the critics of Israel, almost everybody was on the right at that time. These were right wingers, led by people like uh, Pat Buchanan. But So I would imagine the people that talk to you from Congress now were some you know, real conservative Republicans. Now, do you find it amazing how the, the dynamic has completely shifted 180 degrees where the only critics of Israel now that exist in Washington, D.C. are on the far left? And the far right is in line. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, somebody like that, might be willing to talk to you guys,
0: but not... I wouldn't want, would want to ruin her career um, because yeah. she's like a villain. But that being said, no, you make a very point and the point is back in the day then also that the party that uh, built itself as the party of the working man the party of uh, coalitions was uh, was the Democrats. Right. Actually, the one thing I give Trump credit for is that he actually has built a little bit of a coalition going on here to yes. start to understand they're a little more conservative. They kind of like that. You've got uh, uh, parents, right, uh, who have kids in school who are in mm-hmm. this movement now. You've got people who don't like immigration. You've got people who don't like are finally understanding that foreign intervention is bad. So although I feel like our coalition is sane. The other coalition, the only thing that holds it together, with the nine-month abortion, which is only one or two percent, but even the idea of six, seven, eight, nine-month-old children, and or the uh, uh, the idea of who's keeping uh, factories here, whatever it is, uh, well, I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, Black Lives Matter, right? This coalition is so fractured. The glue that holds it together is the hatred of Donald Trump. Without Trump, I think the Democratic Party falls apart.
2: Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think, so. and that's that's what I've commented many times. As you know, uh, I call it the Trumpenstein project. I mean, Trump <laughs> is he is the dividing line between us. and that, that's I've lost so many friends on the left, especially the JFK community, because uh, they had the Trump derangement syndrome is a real thing. I mean, they absolutely are. I mean, they're they're willing to. That's why they're supporting things like uh, political prisoners in DC. If they can, if you can associate somebody with Donald Trump. They they want to execute you. Some of these people, I think, will want to execute millions of people. And uh, the people on the right, again, are they've either bought into Trump and are uh, completely so they're trying to make it seem. I was arguing with somebody the other day about how oh, Trump closed the border and all this. Trump never closed the border. What are you talking? It's better. It was better then than it is now, obviously. But uh, do you find that Trump, I think, is the lightning ride that is, unfortunately, you can't even discuss politics anymore without discussing Trump.
0: You know, um, Trump educated the American public about something, and I think it was Mm -hmm. the concept of America first. And so, obviously, the America first movement was back in World War II, and uh, Charles Lindbergh was a big member, and uh, General Robert Wood, and uh, a couple other generals, and they were immediately described as anti-Semitic, and so it's been going on for a long time. That that smear will not go away, and it's been very effective. But the America first for us is, you know, stay out of the foreign wars, which neither party wants to do. Bring, stop sending jobs overseas, control your borders, have sound money, which we don't have. I mean, the banking industry is such a scam, right? I mean, I, I put my yeah. money in the bank, they loan it to you at interest, and I don't get anything off of it. Right. And so Gosh. there's so many mm-hmm. things I could I could name that the America first. I don't know what their their health uh, care uh, program would be. It would probably be let the market decide. And of course, we also have problems with the libertarians or free traders, but we were always saying that, you know, free trade needs to be fair trade. And so I do think that he reached a great number of people. Now, he was a cult of personality, and I don't think it was the best personality to follow. But I've got to give him credit for when I talk to people in the street. And I live in a rural county of Virginia, and Virginia is a, is a fractured state as well, with northern Virginia being very wealthy. That's where people. I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you're paying a heck of a lot for houses up there. It's getting that down. And when I talk to people, I'll be honest with you. These, the guy that put my battery in in my car the other day, the guy that changed my oil, the guy that cuts my my grass when I can't do it, um, know a lot of things. And they know this because they've been listening to Trump, but also because Trump spurred Yes. those whose programs and this type of stuff. So I'm going to give him credit for that. What I won't give him credit for is not sticking up for what he actually believed in. He just, yeah. Yeah. filled his cap with neocons and warmongers and free traders and sound money and non-sound money advocates and everything else. And he was a businessman and he had those connections and he loves Israel and doesn't quite get that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so he blew it on that. But I do have to give him credit for symbolically,
2: him. absolutely, as a symbol, because he's basically the symbol. He's the uh, he's the alternate. I mean, I don't know the way if he really. I don't think he is much of an alternative, but that's what he represents. Because he's, I always said about Trump, he had he had the best enemies, and look at his uh, his the issues he raised. They were right out of the old days of the popul- of the populist uh, spotlight. The, the spotlight was alone in ranting against the trade deals. NAFTA and, and before that, and uh, Trump made a big deal, and of course immigration, which was a, a cornerstone issue of the spotlight's coverage, and that was Donald Trump's primary issue. And look how, you know, look what happened to that. And I, I don't is Trump even talking about immigration anymore in his rallies?
0: I don't know. I guess if he's on the border, he does. He's probably talking about the election still, which yeah. he needs to also start focusing. And the Republican Party just came out with their their vows to America, but they don't give you any details. And it's, you know, yeah. you're going to be safer and you're going to be, you're going to, the inflation is going to go away. And all of stuff, yeah. so I don't really. Is don't he going to finally
1: look into 9-11? <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: well, it's not going to, that's exactly right. We need a, we need a, when, uh, I forget who, I think it was uh, Kevin Barrett who writes for us. And you'll see he's quite different in opinions from a lot of things we do, but we love, we love controversial authors and ones who challenge our minds, but he was the one that said we need, need the COVID truth movement now.
2: Yeah, well, absolutely, and, and we, uh, you know, I, I write a lot about that, and I think that, and again, that's that's the uh, that's the dichotomy that Trump. I mean, Trump is, probably ninety percent of his, his loyal supporters or more are, are suspicious about the vaccine and know that this COVID narrative is is pretty pretty dicey too. Uh, whereas Trump is bragging about the vaccine, so I and I, you know, I've had gotten lots of arguments with, people, with you know Trump. This is Trump claims credit for this. And I think he really, Alex Jones is trying to tell me, but I think at this point he's he's dug his heels in and I think he would be too proud to admit he was wrong about it.
0: I, I don't know. I really don't know what he thinks because, uh, honestly, one of the things I have learned here over at least the, my time in American press is a lot of our politicians really aren't that smart. They really <laughs> don't have a very sophisticated no. <laughs> of cultures. You know, they don't understand money. They don't understand... Uh, Uh, The the working class man and like Trump may have reached out to those people, but I don't really know if he would want to be walking around down here and and talking to some of the people down here because they might have a little bit of mud on their boots and they might have a little bit of hay on their shirt because they're farmers and these others. Does he really understand these people or he just tap into something and make them think? That they understood him. But I'm telling you, any candidate who would go out there and just talk about America First policies in a a reasonable fashion would be popular. And I think that DeSantis, for instance, at least, and by the way, he's not going to love us because he's passing laws down in Florida, and so is my governor here, who I kind of like, but He's passing laws about not discussing certain topics. That one being, you know, Israel being possible. Absolutely.
2: Uh, yes. Yep. And that's what I mean about the right. Trump Trump was the most pro-Israeli president we've ever had. And DeSantis is right there with him. So I, I don't really understand what has happened in the Middle East because it's the left and the right have completely flipped on the, on this uh, topic of Israel within the last 30 years or so.
0: Well, and, and listen, I'm, I got to tell you. So do I have to agree with everybody as I said? No. But you take the squad, for instance. Now, uh, Co- Co- you yeah. uh, Co- know, Co- Cortez is a, is a ditz. And then you have Elhan uh, Omar. But like, yeah. I agree with her on some stuff. Right. She on
2: Israel. His, yes. His, yes.
0: Yeah. And then you also even a nut job like like uh, Ayana Presley has points to be made about the lower class. Right. And the populist approach to helping those people that your rich people like Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and some of these other guys yeah. who've been here forever and are just multi-billionaires or millionaires have no clue what the average person on the street is thinking. So as I say, I like Marjorie Taylor Greene. I like Ilhan Omar. Why? Because they say, I think, they say what they believe and they don't apologize for it. I don't have to agree with them. I respect them that they're willing to say yes. something not going to get them political points. And people then they say to me, well, what kind of paper is this? They're bad. This is She's a Democrat. She's got to be bad. I'm like, no, there's some Democrats out there. As a matter of fact, one of the ways we used to rate our congressmen and who we would support would be to take 10 bills. I remember. Be, right. No, remember, it's called the Liberty Ledger. And who would hit the top ratings on that?
2: Trafficking. It'd
0: be Ron Paul, it'd be Jim Trafficking. And yeah. Bernie Sanders would come up with like an 80%, which was a very good yeah. score for us. Yeah, I did not understand that. I didn't understand it looking back on it either. As I look, but then you look at the bills they were voting for and what they were thinking about, and it was a lot of stuff was for the American middle class and the lower middle class. Because when that's a thriving sector of the American public, everybody does well,
2: absolutely. I want to say hi, hello to my friend Rhonda Tate in the chat room, and thank you, Fated Reality, for the tip. Lisa Belanger said, There's not one decent j6 attorney not one and i've had several of these uh people thanks mostly to lisa who keeps feeding me the people that were there or you know one of them was anonymous still but uh it's just it's just it's really a shocking story um and uh you know I've, obviously i'll continue to write uh stories about that for american free press chris did you have uh, another question for paul
1: oh well uh, i had a suggestion uh i really think you uh would benefit from uh interviewing or at least talking to a, uh, an investigator that's looking at the thousands of hours of footage from January six, a a guy named Gary, Gary McBride. Yes. He has has a thing called M five news and uh, that's his primary subject at the moment, but uh, he's pointed out a lot of like really weird oddities and uh, inconsistencies in the footage that kind of points to some kind of psychological operation going on. Well, uh, Gary's Gary. been
2: on. Gary's been on the show. And Chris is helping. I, I sense a, a future story for American Free Press. Uh, Paul, maybe that. Uh, maybe I'll tackle that and and talk to Gary. His work needs to be publicized. Yeah.
0: Well, we're always looking for new writers and uh, investigators. So absolutely, Don will hook me up with you, and you'll give me what I know, and I'll give you what little I know. It sounds to me like you're in the midst of a lot of this. The, the real details. See, this takes a lot of time and effort. People don't understand how much time you guys put into trying to get the facts. We report the facts. My job is pretty simple. I have great writers. I need more. But the fact is, we just make it look pretty. That's my job. And um, then I kind of learn from these guys what's going on so I can talk about it. But over the years, my, my job is to to really keep these organizations alive. And that in itself is a, is a uh, full-time job. But most assuredly what we need is contacts and people willing to put their names on stories and take the heat that comes with that. But we'll publish just about anything. And then we don't even have to agree with it necessarily. We say, here's the person we interviewed and here's what they had to say. So I would love to to contact as many more people as we possibly can. This is the type of networking that we need.
1: Yeah, uh, because Gary's primary thing is to uh, try to get some of these uh, January 6th People that are in, uh, just sit, were sitting in jail without uh, trial dates even set. Um, try to get them the, their freedom because he has the footage that can uh, achieve that. So,
0: and, and again, you
1: said thousands of hours, right? Yeah, so, I think I believe it's 14,000. 14,000,
2: yeah, 14,000. J6 what? Commission has no interest in it.
1: <laughs> nope. No, divide
0: that by 40, and you can tell me how many weeks this man is dedicated to this.
1: Oh, yeah, about 20 months, I think he he said the other day. Yeah, and the,
2: the, the Epic Times
1: uh, made a good
2: documentary, and they did some good work, but they relied heavily on his work. The and they didn't give him any they at least They should have at least credited him, but they didn't do that. And uh, unfortunately, yeah. that happens they've, all they've, too often.
0: They're doing a good job, and they're one of the few organizations that has expanded, but they've got an axe to grind, too. They're getting they're Falun Gong money, right? And they've got some rich, I think, Hong Kong billionaires behind them. Without money, you're not going to be able to have that outreach and that professional a, a production. Plus, they have like seven different theme things, Epic, Bright, you know, happy news, good news, bad news, China news, COVID news. And they've also done a lot of stuff on the, uh, the, the vaccines, et cetera. But uh, hey, they're doing a great job. I think Uh, you don't have have to believe everything they're saying or agree with them again on every single thing. But I can't criticize any organization that's popped up like that, that has uh, attained an outreach like that. And they're doing it weekly, I believe.
1: Yeah, my only gripe is that uh, just Gary's is like he's on his own and he's trying to get more yeah. of the, the truth out. And when but that's, something like that happens, it just doesn't seem that fair. That, but know? that's
2: that's always been a problem in alternative media, I'm sure Paul's yeah. seen a lot of it. And, it, and, and it's in, I saw it, I still see it in the JFK assassination research community, which is fractured and dysfunctional. The 911 truth community, same thing, but even the UFOs, things like that. People, unfortunately are uh, these subjects sometimes attract and most of the time attract people with huge pers- huge egos, difficult personalities, and they end up clashing. I see Tony Arterburn, our esteemed producer is in the house. Tony, what do you, what are you thinking of what you've been hearing? Uh, did you, uh, t- did you read the spotlight back in the day? Were you a, a loyal subscriber as a youngster?
0: Unfortunately, no, I was not. I actually learned about the spotlight from you and, and I've gone <laughs> back and looked at archives and uh yeah an impressive history uh did i send you um a silver round uh this a silver coin that i got from the liberty lobby somebody bought it was i think it was minted in 1980 something i
2: think you did i think you did yeah you sent me so much i think you did because you mentioned the liberty lobby and that's and they, and they used to you know they used to sell that and uh they were uh just uh, before the internet they should they just deserve more credit because they they a lot of the alternative media was channeled through. They had a big subscription base, as you know, back then. Famous people like John Wayne and Gloria Swanson. And uh, you know, so a lot of what uh, became the internet, I, I just don't think they get credited enough
0: no.
2: with, uh, you know, it's starting. Funny like- you, it's
0: funny you should mention Liberty Trust Mint because I ran that for a little while after the 80s. And, and as I mentioned, I got there in the 90s. But the stories were during a period of time, we were, we were about the only independent mentor who stayed in business. Because we kind of figured something was going on behind the scenes, but at the time the stories were that uh, silver went from what three bucks to fifty bucks an ounce. People were, were pulling up to Liberty Lobby with pickup trucks and filling <laughs> up with silver rounds. <laughs> and we had, a, by the way, we had a, one of the one of the good reasons we went out of business. We had a buyback guarantee on that at nine oh. ninety five an ounce. Oh, so, oh uh, I see. Yeah, we, we sold a lot of silver in the year that I was there, and this was considered a down year. We sold six hundred thousand dollars worth of silver profit margin Indeed. was was small yeah but just another stream of revenue to fund the paper
1: sure yeah. now silver's disappearing apparently
0: <laughs> it is. do you remember who's on that was on that silver round Wh- whose picture i, I want to say it was andrew jackson <laughs> andrew jackson is right one of our heroes one of our populist heroes yeah yeah, I seen yeah it exactly doctor. i bought it from a customer in san antonio yeah. and i didn't, i didn't realize it for about six months and i was going through looking at inventory and i go that's Liberty lobbied. So I sent that to Don.
2: He thinks of Liberty lobby. He thinks of me when he thinks of Liberty lobby. Well, you know, they were, and, and that's why I, I hated so much when they get smeared because again, it's, uh, uh, they did so much good work. Things like the Bilderbergers, the Jonathan Pollard spy scandal. That was completely broken by the spotlight. I don't think anybody else talked about that. And uh, just things like the, 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 uh, the term limits. I I think spotlight was one that really got that ball rolling. And I've for- we were unsuccessful on it, but uh, that's the kind of things a lot of uh, – in the third-party movements. Despite, I remember the populist party that was formed briefly, and you had uh, – Bob was it Bob Richards, the uh, Wheaties cover guy? He was the first presidential candidate, and uh, we tried. You, nobody can say that the people weren't trying back then, Paul.
0: No, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the Liberty Lobby's greatest accomplishment was the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. Uh, many times yeah. we would have – you know, these votes come down, we could influence people. and We did a pretty good job at that, but you lose your votes and there you go. I believe we should be concentrating again on the term limits because I just did a fundraiser. Yeah. And as I went through the members of Congress who were in their mid-80s, it's some hitting 90s, uh, lower 80s. And I just, and not that somebody can't be uh, competent at that age, but a lot of them aren't. Uh, Diane Feinstein, for instance, Joe Biden, obviously, even young ones yeah. can't really come like up out but I think the term limits are a very important thing because I think it was uh, Harry Truman says, you go into politics poor and you come out rich. That's called stealing.
2: Yeah. Well, I went D- Donald Trump has talked a lot about term limits, but we're just about running out of time, Paul. Uh, this has been a joy, you know, to finally get to talk, I'm writing stories for you to finally get to talk to you and hear you. Uh, it's what you, it's, I I really appreciate the American free press, not just because you uh, pay me to write there, but I, I, I appreciate what you're doing. And, uh, I appreciate the legacy there that comes from the Spotlight and Liberty Lobby. So uh, any closing thoughts or any, anything you want to promote, uh, give out any links you want to give out?
0: Uh, absolutely. So if people are interested in seeing what American Free Press is doing, they should go to AmericanFreePress.net. There's all kinds of offers there, including a PDF edition of the paper for, I think, it's 25 bucks a year. You have access to all of our archives and uh, email updates uh, we have the print publication which is going for 59 bucks for 26 issues but somebody will cut a deal if you mentioned you heard about it on john Jefferies' radio program i mean i'm willing to cut the price of it in half and uh, I thank you for writing for us and for also publicizing us and also taking me down this, uh, this, this trip down memory lane. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I appreciate everybody who listens and supports. I think you have to support independent media more than ever, because even the people that are out there that are theoretically independent, the Joe Rogans and the uh, uh, Crowders are there. They're making a ton of money and they're, Probably wouldn't be on if they were really talking about some of the issues we talk about. Uh, I still respect what they're doing and all that stuff, and they deserve your support and listening as well. But any independent media that you find you like, understand how, how many people work their butts off to get this paper out, to get these publications out. I don't care whether you support us or not, if it's another independent outlet. I don't care if you're supporting an independent news outlet on the left. Any independent news outlet that's not dependent on lobbyists, advertising money, big business, corporate interests, that that you should be supporting them because I'm behind that, whether I agree with them or not, or some, some hardworking people trying to get their version of the truth out there.
2: Well, thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Chris Graves, for joining in and uh, contributing with your always astute, in-depth research skills. And, uh, Tony, thanks for producing. Thanks, everybody, in the chat room. Appreciate having you here. So uh, listen tomorrow. I'll be on America Unplugged with Tony. And uh, Billy Ray Valentine, that'll be 12 noon, t- right here on the same bat channel, uh, Rockfin- rockfin.com. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see you then. Thanks everybody for listening to Night Protest. <laughs>